so we've been uh, continuing our, our sermon series called GPS, um, and we've been kind of really blissing through the entire Bible. Um, but before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Uh, how many of you like waiting? Anyone who is patient likes to wait? Not, not a lot. I only see one hand. Uh, I hate waiting. I don't like to wait for things. And particularly when I know that I'm about to get something, I have to wait to get it. Like, that's the worst feeling ever. Like, I know I'm going to get it, but I have to wait for it to get it and to open it. And I remember when I was young, I grew up in Hong Kong. And uh, in Hong Kong, some of you guys grew up there know that there is a thing called, it's not American tradition, it's more a British tradition. It's called Boxing Day on December 26th. So what happened is, on what traditionally what they do is, is they will open up presents, not on Christmas, but they will open it on the 26th. December 26th. I remember growing up, it was the worst feeling because I would be standing at the tree and my parents were super nice and loving. They would buy us gifts really early in December. And you would just look at gifts and look and underneath the tree and I know which one is mine. I know what, 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 which one my parents got for me, but I don't know what it is. And I will have to wait for 26 days to open that present. Worse yet is on the 25th, we're all celebrating Christmas, but for whatever reason, I don't get to open it because some people happen to say 26 is Boxing Day, so we unbox our gift that day. I remember waiting and waiting. I was like, come on, like Christmas, how can we celebrate Christmas without opening our gifts? And so I was extremely thankful by the time we moved to America because there's no longer Boxing Day. We just open our present the first thing in the morning on Christmas Day. Now, some of you may be going through the same experience. You're waiting. You know something happened. Those of you who are in college, you know you got into, uh, you got, got into the school that you wanted to go to or the school that accepted you. But unfortunately, you still need to wait for one more semester. Now, you know that pain of waiting. You know you're going to that school, but you still need to live in their high school and go through all the schoolwork so that you don't flunk out and, get, and, and I'm not going to that school. You know you're accepted to that school. But you still need to live in that high school life, turning in the homework, doing the usual high school thing. When in, but when you know, man, that college life is just right ahead. In just a few months, I get to go to that college to study. I will have the freedom from my parents. I'm sure that you don't think that, but right, your freedom from your parents. Man, I get to live on my own. You waited, and you waited, and you're wondering when is going to be over. I remember when I uh, graduated from college, I had a strong sense of what God is doing in my life, and I, I felt called by God to be in ministry, in vocational ministry, uh, as a pastor or a missionary. I remember graduating from college, knowing very uh, clearly that's where the direction God is leading me to. And so I was praying, God, where do you want to send me? Where do you want me to go? Do you want me to go to seminary to study? Do you want me to, to volunteer? Do you, what do you want me to do? And as I pray for that, I would think that if I'm willing, I'm available, God would just send me to a church, send me to seminary, and then just start taking classes. After all, I'm available to do God's work. What's there to wait? Only to find out that after I prayed for a while, God said, no, don't go. Stay at the school that you're at. Work there. Be on staff with a, church, a parachurch organization called the Navigators. Stay there for a while. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, God, like, you call me to be a pastor? You call me to be in ministry? 
working at the basement of at UCLA is not ministry. It's just paying the bills. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, you told me that's what you want me to do, but what am I doing here in the in-between time, in the waiting period, when I could have been doing the ministry that you called me to do? People could have been saved for, uh, have uh, received salvation. They would have been saved from their sins and go to heaven. What am I doing in here, in this place, working, when the calling was so clear that you want me to be a missionary, you want me to be a pastor? Today we're going to look at the fifth act of the Bible. We kind of broke out the Bible in the six acts. Today we're going to look at the fifth act, which is primarily the most of the New Testament. And we will see that most of the New Testament actually turns out to be a waiting period. Now when you think of waiting, you think of like really passive waiting, like I'm just waiting to get somewhere. But what we will see is this, in this story, in, the, in this act, this scene of the Bible, most of the New Testament is not a passive waiting for something to happen to us, but it's an active waiting to pursue something that God wants us to do and, and bless other people. Waiting was not so much just for you. This period of waiting is going to be for people around you. And when we look at this act, we're going to see that God wants to use us in a way. While we're waiting, we know the ending. We know what's best for us. God kept us here, kind of like the airplane. You've ever been on a plane and they're kind of circling around. They can't land. You're kind of in that holding pattern, just waiting and waiting. But God wants you to do something while you're waiting. That's what we're going to look at today. So uh, just a quick review. I hope that uh, I'm, my, my prayer is that through this series, you have get, you got a better grasp of the Bible. I purposely put very small verses, uh, 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 passages, so that I think hopefully you can grasp onto every scene with a passage that will remind you of what the Bible is ultimately about. So the first scene we talk about is creation, right? Several weeks ago, we saw in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27, I'll encourage you to write this down as a marker for you. The first scene of the Bible, God created all things well, and at the end, he created in Genesis chapter 1, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God created the perfect world and the perfect people. That's the opening scene of this Bible. But that second scene comes along. Second act comes along. We know that is rebellion. That in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we know Adam and Eve disobeyed God. As a result of that rebellion, we are the recipient, they were the recipient, and subsequently we are the recipients of that penalty of sin, penalty of rebellion. And Genesis chapter 3.15, uh, hopefully this verse will mark for you this act of rebellion. God was rebuking, was rebuking the, uh, the serpent. And then it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so here we see God punishing the serpent, punishing Adam and Eve, and in the midst of punishing all parties involved, God gave a plan of redemption. God gave a plan of redemption. God showed grace while being holy in judging his people. And we fast forward, we know that God had a plan, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, which leads us to the promise that God gave through this one man. It seems unfair that through Adam and Eve we have sinned, but also through Abraham, God chose to give this promise 
that through him we will experience blessing from we can be reconciled to God in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 to 3 says this now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and here's the more important part God did not just bless Abram his family he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We continue to see God's promise of redemption and grace in the spite of rebellion. We see all over the Old Testament. You cannot flip to a page in the Old Testament and find that people were faithful to God. But in the midst of all of that, God continued to forgive, continue, even when they got kicked out of promised land, which last week we arrived in Acts number 4, the redemption of God, that we see Jesus coming on earth. That this old covenant was okay, it worked, but it required a constant annual sacrifice. But there will come a day, which we knew in the Gospels, that Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, will come on earth in flesh as fully human, Fully God to die on the cross and be raised from the dead so that you and I can have new life. And that's what we looked at last week. That redemption was fulfilled. That requires three responses. We need to repent, believe, and follow. That when we do that, we have this new relationship with Christ that we no longer need. Every Sunday you all bring in a, 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 a lamb up here and they kill it. And the sacrifice that we have the perfect sacrifice from Jesus himself. But here's come, here, here we come in act number five. What we just read today, because by the time we get there, so for those of you who haven't been with us, um, I kind of changed the format of our sermon a little bit. So I'll tell you the story of the New Testament. Then I'll share with you a few truths and reality that we need to live, live with. So I'm not going to go through a lot of text today, but I really tell the story. Because by the time Jesus was raised from the dead, we arrive in Acts chapter one, the book of Acts chapter one, uh, which uh, Victor early read for us. There came a problem. Because the people, remember, if you remember Mark chapter 1, Jesus announced that the kingdom of God is right here, is at hand. By the time he was about to leave and go back up to heaven, the disciples were wondering, yes, Jesus, I believe your kingdom is here on earth. So now what? Is the kingdom over? Like, are you going to bring us with you? And in fact, they asked a very curious question in verse chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 in Acts. He says, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, the disciples were thinking what I was thinking. Now, what some of you were thinking, I know that you promised the kingdom here will be on earth. The kingdom will be perfect. But now, God, are you going to finish the job? Are you actually going to finish and bring us all up? And now Israel is actually going to overthrow the Roman Empire that all your people will be, will be uh, residing with you in perfect union. And the, and the answer that Jesus gave was no. Like put yourself in the disciples' shoes. It's like, wait, you just said the kingdom of God is here. You have died. You're raised from the dead. What else? In fact, the, the answer that Jesus gave them was, go sit in a room. Go sit in a room. Go, just go up in the room and just pray. And I wonder what they prayed, right? 
Don't you like it when people tell you, go pray? You're like, pray for what? Like, I don't know, just pray. And they were waiting in the upper room and waiting and praying until one day the Holy Spirit showed up. In the day of Pentecost, the feast, the Jewish feast, that every person who was a Jew at a time would come back to Jerusalem to celebrate. And the, the Holy Spirit arrived in the scene. And as Peter was preaching, all of a sudden, everybody who are from every town that have different language, they can all of a sudden understood what Peter was preaching. And as a result, that thousands of people came to receive Jesus. Jewish people who once thought that Jesus was the betrayer, the ones that who killed Jesus, the one who accused Jesus, thousands of them all of a sudden decided that, understand that Jesus is the living God. He's the resurrection. He's the redeemer. And at that time, you would think, well, job done. Let's go to heaven. The kingdom of God is finally finished. But it's not the case because God continued to lead, lead these people to stay where they're at. If you look, go back to Acts chapter 1, the verse that we read earlier. Acts chapter 1, 8 is your roadmap to read through the rest of the New Testament. Because Acts chapter 1, 8 says some, tell us what God will do, promise to do, and continue to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What does the Holy Spirit want to do through God's people? So that we can be witnesses. And to the people back then, it says witnesses to who? Jerusalem. And that's what happened. For the, for the, the rest of the book of Acts, the people of God, the Jewish people who got, who got saved by Christ, stayed in Jerusalem and wondered, God, what should we do? And God said, I already told you what to do. Go be witnesses of me. Continue to share the God, continue to share the good news to those who are Jewish, that who don't know Christ, who think that they know the Redeemer, the Messiah, but they don't really know that Christ was the fulfillment of the Redeemer. And so they continue to preach, and we go to Acts chapter 2. They were living such Christ-honoring, Christ-reflective life that people just see these people are different. Uh, we often go to Acts chapter 2, that's like a perfect New Testament church. They were eating together. They were fellowshipping, not just hanging out together, building into each other's lives. They were praying, they're looking into the word of God, they're listening to teaching from the apostles, they're praying, miracles are being done. And at the end of chapter 2, it says all uh, numbers will keep adding into the people, people around them. Jewish people who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah keep looking at this community and say, man. That's what life should be like. And they start hanging out with them and say, oh yeah, that is what life should be like. Because when you have Christ, that's what life really becomes meaningful. But Acts chapter 1 verse 8 did not stop there. He says, not only to Jerusalem, he says to all Judea and Samaria. Because what happened is more people came to know Christ. We go through the book of Acts. And then something happened. There were persecutions. So we tend to think uh, we tend to think Christianity was big back then. When you arrive in Acts chapter, uh, the book of Acts, Christianity is just some small kind of religion. It's not as big as you think today. That anyone who walk on the street in America probably have heard of Jesus Christ. Back then, they were still considered to be that kind of Jewish religion, not quite Jew like Judaism, but Jewish. Kind of like Judaism, but not quite. And their numbers is still small, a couple hundred people. But you know what God did? 
God was fulfilling his promise of redeeming the world. He said, I'm not going to wait for you to go out. Right? Most of us, we don't like to go out to all our conferences. God said, I'm going to kick you out. And the way God did it is, I'm going to use the Roman government to persecute the church. And when God did that, all the people of God started leaving. They have no choice. They start going to places, and guess what? When they start living in other places, they bring their faith with them. The community continue to grow. And other places who are not uh, filled with Jews or who are, who are people who are more uh, of Gentile descent, they start looking, seeing, tasting, talking, feeling, engaging with the church. And as a result of that, they hear the gospel, they see the gospel, and start, the gospel starts filling out to Judea, to Samaria, kind of to the uh, area. And along the way, persecution, one of the major characters that, that showed up in the book of Acts is a, name, a guy named Saul. Most of you probably name, know of him as Paul. Did you know that Saul was a staunch persecutor of Christianity? Acts tells us, Saul was going after Christians. Like, you think ISIS is going after Christians? I want you to think that's what Paul was doing. Paul was going, traveling to play just to persecute and kill and cheer on the killing of Christians back then. And yet God, in his amazing plan, in the midst of persecution, God changed this once enemy of God and made him to be a great apostle by, uh, through, through whom we're reading the Bible. Over half of the Bible was written by this guy. And God continued to bring that plan through not only Judea and Samaria. And he said, I want to bring it to the ends of the world. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts was. Paul originally still ministering to the Jewish people. But then soon he realized. The people of God, the Jewish people, don't want to listen to this message. And so what, what he did was he said God gave him a vision. He can start changing direction. Start talking to those people who are not Jewish. And guess what? They were super receptive to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. And he continued to travel. The Bible tells us in Acts that he makes three trips. He's just traveling around and around. And, and when we read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says to the end of the earth for them back then. Pretty much is all around the Mediterranean Sea. That's kind of their concept of what the end of the world is. And he just go travel, bring uh, Barnabas brought him. He brought other, other disciples and go and travel. And as he traveled, they start building churches. Start, people start coming to know Christ. Churches start forming. And the rest of the New Testament are all letters. That either from Paul, Peter, James, that were writing to these communities, what we will call today as churches. To encourage them. Not to give them a set of rules you live by this, but really encourage them to live on mission for Jesus. Because every one of these quote-unquote satellites are meant to be the display of God's goodness and what life should be like with Christ. And so the gospel continues, friend. And one of the most amazing things is persecution doesn't die down because the church grew. In fact, persecution multiplied. You would think that God is doing a work and that the world is getting more peaceful. But no, in the book of Acts, we see persecution after persecution. The very person, Paul, who is useful for God, guess what? He knows the ending, but he was in that waiting period. And guess what? He eventually had to go to Rome, not for a vacation, 
but for house arrest. All the while, Paul was writing letters upon letters to encourage, to exhort the faith community all around that area. And I'll refer to this more later, but in Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter of 8, and I think it is only appropriate that we never read about the death of Paul. But you know what we read? I'll read it for you. You don't have to turn there. Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts. Here Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. He paid out of his own pocket to live there while being house arrest, and welcome all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. When we leave the book of Acts, when we leave almost, I would say, what the New Testament really recorded, the picture we see on the wall was not Paul dying, but Paul preaching, Paul proclaiming. Paul advancing the kingdom of God. And I think that is why we all are still waiting actively here. Because that is the job that all of us are called to do. I want to share with you a couple, couple of things here as we, uh, that as we look at this story of uh, this, final, uh, this second to the last act of God, uh, the church. Here's the first thing I want you to, to remember. Is that the kingdom of God is already not yet. Theologians like to use this term, already not yet, meaning that when we look at Mark chapter 1, we saw the kingdom of God is at hand, is here, is already here. Jesus lived the kingdom life, demonstrated for us, died, resurrected, but there's still, the kingdom of God is not finished. Because next week, when we go look at a final act in the Bible, in Revelation, we will see that it will be finished. But there is a period of time that some of the king, part of the kingdom of God is being fulfilled, but not, it's not fully, completely fulfilled. And you, must, you have to ask the question, why? Why couldn't Jesus just finish the job and let's just wash our hands and go home to, to, in glory to heaven? Beyond that, why did Jesus leave and leave you here? Why, why didn't Jesus just stay here to finish the job? I want to turn us to uh, turn to a passage for us in First Timothy chapter two. I think this is the reason why the kingdom of God is already not yet. Here's what it says: First Timothy chapter two, verse three to five. It says this is good. It is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior. Pay attention to verse four: Who desires all people to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. You know why the kingdom of God is already not yet? It's already not yet because God's kindness is continuing showing to people who have yet to have him. Continue that there are still people, thousands, hundreds, millions of people in this world that are not part of the kingdom of God. I think of the Jesus, uh, Jesus parable of the feast. You remember that story? He said, I, have, I will have a feast. But there's still people who are not at that party, at that feast. I still, he's sending a servant out and said, get those people. And, and if you remember that, that story, the people that he bring him are not the royal people, are not the noble people, are the poor people, the broken people, the people on the fringe, the people who are living messy lives. 
You see, the kingdom of God is already not yet because there are still people out there that God wants to bring in for that great feast that we'll talk about next week. The jobs still need to be done. God wants people to come in the saving knowledge of his, his desire, his, his will, his, his joy. That people would be saved and to come into knowledge of them. And I think it's easy for us when we think of that and say, well, people. Thousands of people are just statistics. But when you hear this, I hope there is a picture in your mind of the person at home, person at your work, person at your school, that there is a person, there is a one in your life that needed to hear, to be at that table, that feast with Jesus at the end of time. Because I will challenge you that from Scripture that this is why God continues to extend His mercy. Because He wants to reach to all people. And that requires all of us to be the church and don't just go to church. We get into this bad habit of saying, let's go to church. My kids say it all the time. Because the assumption is that church is just a building, and church is just a place that we go to. A church is a time slot. But as you read through the book of Acts, and in the story, hopefully, as you can listen to what I uh, shared about the book of Acts, the word church is used, but is rarely used in a confine of a physical location. Even when Paul spoke and wrote to the people in Ephesus, it was to the church of Ephesus, but he was not referring to an address of the church. He was referring to the people that makes up that church. I think we need to be careful. Stop thinking that you need to come to this place called church. We need to start. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are the church. And the reality is that God said, I want to accomplish and advance my kingdom through my church. That means you. The church has no address, but it has a name. And it is not First Chinese Baptist Church in Gabriel Valley. Your name is part of that church. The good news and the bad news is this, that God is not looking for extraordinary people. The church, the bride of Christ is beautiful, not because we as a church is beautiful. We are as a church are beautiful. God's looking for ordinary people. I just want to blitz through this real quick. Acts chapter 8. When we look through the book of Acts... God was not using superstars. In fact, by the time God moved the gospel out of Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the first people out to that place was not Peter, John, all all, all what you would think a superhero of apostles. Because in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 tells us this, the first church planted, it says this, uh, the first church planted were not by people who are... Apostles, because verse 1 says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Read that together, last three words. One, two, three. Except the apostles. The A-team was not being sent out by God to plant a church. Not the apostles. God forced the people, ordinary Normal Joe to go out to this place and because of that they planned. And go to verse 4. What did they do when they are in persecution? Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. 
earlier in our small group, we see the word is not just the Bible. It includes the gospel. We are called as ordinary people to go out. And then by the time you fast forward to chapter, chapter 11, verse 19 to 20, it says, Now those who were scattered because of persecution over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And then here's verse 20. There were some of them, unknown, unnamed people, some of them, some people, some brothers, some Christians, Men of Cyprus of Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, to the Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. God kicked the normal people out, kept the apostles in Jerusalem. These normal people go preach the gospel. And by the time we arrived at the first church line in Antioch, some unnamed, not even good enough to put a name in the Bible, those Christians were the one built up the church. And by the, by the way, by the time we get to Acts, at the end of Acts, and in, Roman, in Rome, Paul showed up. Paul showed up. There was already a church, believers there. Verse 14, 28 says it's there. We found brothers. Again. Not the Peter, the Johns, the James. Brothers. Today you may be sitting here thinking, I'm just... just nobody i'm just a student i'm just a mom i'm just a dad i'm just a husband i'm just whatever i'm just a student i'm just working at this place but but you see when we forget that god wants to use nobody like you and i that was his plan uh some of you guys are familiar with this person uh, in, in in the in the old time his name is dl moody I love the way he put it. He says this. Moses spent the first 40 years thinking that he was somebody. Moses, the guy in Exodus, spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. Then he spent his next 40 years thinking he was nobody because he was in the desert. He's just herding sheep. God's not going to use me. Then the, fire, then the burning bush showed up. And then he spent the last 40 years leaning fully into God that God can use a nobody. I don't know how you feel about yourself. Some of us might think that we're somebody. Some of us might think that you're nobody. The bottom line is this. God wants to use nobody because you are somebody because Jesus lives in you. In Acts 1, he says the spirit of God lives in you. That's why you're somebody. That's why God wants to use you. And here's the challenge for us. We must be the church of God in this world. You cannot just be the church of God, just come here and show up to listen to a sermon. That is not sufficient for you to be the church. That is part of being the church. But the reason why you're not going to heaven is because God has some job for you and I, which leads us to the next part. How do we become the church? One of my all-time favorite quotes capsulates this idea of being church. Um, I think we certainly see it in scripture, as I will show you. But I think these three pictures captures, well, what does it mean for you to be a church, to be the church of God? Leslie Newbing, and he was a missionary to India. He returned home to, uh, to uh, Europe after his time in India. And he realized how dead the church was. How the church just gathered. How the church just sit together. And, oh yeah, they will pray to send money. 
without realizing that God has a mission for them. And so in one of his books, he makes this reference that the church of God should be a sign, a sign, a foretaste, an instrument of the kingdom of God. I think these three things ought to be in the forefront of our mind every single day. That as believers, we ought to be the sign. You know what a sign does? It points you somewhere, tells you somewhere to go. That's what we are. Every day as believers, are you a sign for the kingdom of God that points people to Jesus? If you walk out this driveway, there's a sign that says, do not walk through the driveway. It's meant to alert people. It's meant to draw people's attention. Is your life a sign for the kingdom of God? Does it point people to Jesus or does it point people to you or to worse yet the world? Is that a sign that people will see, wow, Jesus. Or it's going to look at my life and say, wow, Ben. See, the church is about being the sign of Jesus Christ. But not only the sign, it's the second one. It says it's a foretaste. It's what people taste, see, and experience. Acts chapter 2 was a New Testament church because they live, act, breathe the gospel. Last week we talked about the gospel as something to be shared, to be proclaimed. But beyond that, the scripture tells us the gospel also to be lived out. I want to challenge us, those who are believers, we gather, we hang out. What, 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 what are we doing that give people a taste of what heaven is like? I think it's no surprise that why the, uh, why the, the New Testament authors, can, through the Holy Spirit, continue to command us to do a lot of one another. One particular, love one another. You see, we live in a world filled with tension. You don't believe it? Turn on TV. Watch the election. Look up the news. See, we are called to love one another in such transformative, uh, radical way. We are called to be so generous in such radical way that people get to taste that, wow, that's what life with Christ is like. That these people are no longer about just being, being, being petty about their preferences. These people are not just about how can I collect money to build their own thing, but that they are actually out there in the midst of suffering, being a blessing to those people who are going through suffering. Are we a foretaste? And here's the last one, instrument. Are we an instrument of the gospel of the kingdom of God? Are we declaring it? Are we living? And I... Uh, on, on your chair, there should be a note card. And I think all those things I just shared about are not new to you for most of you because we talk about it all the time. But here's one thing I want to challenge you, though. Is that I want you to actually lift out these things. As I was praying this week, as I share about this, I think when we read through the New Testament, it's easy to go, yeah, amen, agree. But then God does not call us to just know these things. Book of Luke tells us, blessed are those who hear them and keep them. I'm too chicken to try this, but I actually wonder what would happen if I say next week don't come back until you actually lift out the sermon for the week before. I wonder how would that affect our attendance. Don't come back until you actually lift out once what you just heard this week. 
But I think that's what God's calling you to do. So I want to just give you three things. You don't have to do these. Three suggestions for you. How can we be sign, instrument, and foretaste? The first one is this. To be a sign. I will, uh, one, first thing I want you to do, I think for those of us who are believers who are not baptized, there are no better signs for people to know that you're Christians than to get baptized. You literally are standing there to be a picture getting dunked. And coming back out, you are literally a picture of what the gospel is. What better sign can there be? And we've heard, you know, the women and Lynette share their story and how coming to observe, to look at that beautiful picture of the gospel lived out, result in someone wanting to come to know Jesus. So if you are not baptized, that's the easiest step for you to take, to be obedient of. Be that sign. It doesn't get any more complicated than that. So here's the second one. If, if you, uh, how, how can we be a, a foretaste? I want to challenge you this week. One another, another person here in this room. There are 59 one another's in the Bible. New Testament. It has to love one another. Bear for one another. Care for one another. Encourage one another. Pick one. And what I want you to do is, don't go to the person that you're sitting next to right now. Because by, most likely the person you're sitting next to, are the person you hang out with the most. So find someone that you can do to go encourage that person. Drop a text. Call them out to have lunch. Bring something for them. Encourage them. Let's be that radical foretaste of what the heaven will be like. You don't do it now. Don't wait till you go to heaven. There is a reason why we're waiting. Here's the last one. To be an instrument of God. Commit to pray for someone and look for opportunities to share Christ with them. Like this would be all nice for pictures and Instagram likes and then posts. But it will mean nothing if we don't really pray for our one. And look for opportunities to share one. Because all, all too often we say, oh, I don't have opportunity. No, you have opportunity. I have opportunity. I miss many opportunities. The question was never... Is there opportunity? The question is always, am I obedient? Am I faithful? So for some of you, that means that when you're, you're in high school and junior high, that means you actually live a life that, is, that has integrity. That when your friend sees you, you don't do everything that they do. And not because you're just a good Chinese boy, good Chinese girl but because your conviction tells you that I want to be like Jesus. That's my Lord that saved me and changed me. I want to live like that. And for people to see, and for some of you who are working, that means that you are not just pursuing a job to pay the bills or, or climbing the ladder just to get recognition. It means that I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability, and in the, in the, all the while, the people around me give me an opportunity to build relationship with them and point them to Jesus. And for a few of us who are parents, myself and speaking to myself as well, that means that I'm going to make disciples of all nations from my family. There are no better people who can observe what the gospel looks like than those who live with me day in and day out. And the sad thing is, there are no people who know how I don't live according to the gospel day in and day out, and those who will live with me. And for every one of us who are not parents, you live with a family as well. You live with roommates as well. And so how can you be and pray for them and share the gospel with them? I want to add on this. 
this is really important. I think as we look forward next week, hopefully we can see the beautiful picture of what we will have in heaven and revelation, this glorious picture. But in the meantime, you are God's plan A for the kingdom of God. He's not looking for all-star team. He's saying you. You're God's plan A. He's not like, oh, let me scrap that and find another team. No, you. You. Me. He called us, left us here. If he wants safety for you, if he wants security for you, he'll take you to heaven. Why stay here? But for the rest of the New Testament, we see God is not done with the world. And he wants you to participate and be on the same page and participate with him, what he's doing in this world. To bring all people to be saved and saving knowledge of who he is. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time we can look into your word. And God, we're not worthy of your grace. Lord, I know a lot of times we just kind of sit there and think that, God, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. But Lord, your gospel tells us we are that bad. And because we're that bad, you are that good to us and you saved us. And now help us not to be, not to be um, mediocre in our lives and, and, and drown in our slothful ease. But God, I pray that we will follow you and talk to the people around us. Just like what we sing earlier, we'll, we'll go wherever you go. We'll love whoever you love. We'll move and move to a place that wherever you call us to move. Let Take our own desire and flesh your desires away so that we can give of ourselves to you, be, be used of you for your kingdom. So, Lord, as we come into a time of response, I pray for each one of us here, Lord, that we will write, what will be our step of obedience be today and this week? Lord, I, I pray in advance, commit these steps of obedience to you, knowing full well that we cannot accomplish them on our own. So, Lord, may your Holy Spirit remind us, convict us, stir in our hearts to live out these steps of obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our worship team is going to lead the song, I'll, I'll, I Will Follow. And I want to encourage you, take this time. Write down on your paper, on your card, what is the one thing that God is calling you to do this week? Some of you, that means being baptized. Some of you, that means go to the back and grab a piece of paper to get baptized. Some of you means that you need to put a name and a place and a time that who are you going to be one anothering with this week? And for some of you, that means that you need to pray daily, commit to pray daily, look for opportunity to share the gospel. So I want to give this time to for you, between you and God, to respond. And as we uh, sing this song... And hopefully it will help us to be obedient to God.